turn in our Bibles to Daniel chapter number 6. Yes, I'm on. And the title of the message today, of course, is Daniel in the Lion's Den. When we talk about Daniel, this is usually the first thing that people come to their mind. It's the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And this story in Daniel chapter number 6 concludes the historical section of the book of Daniel. I'd like you to keep in mind, many times when artists paint the picture of Daniel in the lion's den, we like to paint him as a young man. But probably at this time, Daniel is in his 80s when this event occurs. This is at the end of his career in Babylon, coming to the end of his life also in Babylon. And this, which would be his most famous test and the greatest miracle performed during his lifetime by God, occurs at the end of his life. Going into this story, we'll go back one verse to Daniel chapter number 5. Daniel chapter number 5. And I'd like to just read verse 31. The Bible says, And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. And here is our introduction to Darius the Median or Darius the Mede. Um, Darius was 62 years old when he was made king over Babylon. Understand that his reign is very short. We don't have much information on him. In fact, there's no historical records outside of the Bible that mention this Darius um, in their records. However, um, there is more known of Darius's background in the book of Daniel than Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar. Um, even though those are more famous kings that interact with Daniel, um, Daniel spends more time explaining who this man is, where he came from, and um, this is probably because of um, his tenderness and concern for the welfare of Daniel and also for the welfare of the Jews. Um, Darius was probably in history known by the name of Gubaru or Gobrius. Um, he was, um, Cyrus the Great put him in charge over Babylon. And uh, don't think that this contradicts what the Bible says. The Bible says in the book of Daniel, I believe in Daniel chapter number 9, it says that um, Darius was made king. Over, his, over Babylon. It wasn't that he came in of his own right or by his own power. He was set up as king, which speaks to that he's not the most powerful man of the empire, but he is running a province. He is a lower king under the emperor, who was Cyrus the Great at that time. And um, if this is any concern to you, also remember that Belshazzar is referred to as the king of Babylon. Yet we know from history that his father was alive during the time that he was king over Babylon and that he ruled the empire. And also we see from the Bible concerning Belshazzar that when Belshazzar sought to promote somebody, he was able to promote a man to as high as his power would allow. And do you remember what position that man would be? Only the third man in the kingdom. Why? Because Belshazzar was the number two man in the kingdom and Belshazzar's father was the number one. This works the same way for Darius the Mede, or Darius the Median. I wanted to make sure we had a little bit of historical context to this man. As I said, he was 60 and 2 years old. So he's up in age when you consider that in the ancient world, when we get um, the average lifespan of certain people, we know from the time, at the time of the Roman Empire, the average lifespan, and this would be um, roughly 500 years after the time that we're reading here, the average lifespan of a person was 28 years old. Very rough time. I wouldn't imagine that it would be any higher than 28 years old during Darius's age, yet Darius is at the ripe old age of 62. 62. So he's lived a good long life. He's coming to the end of his life. And from what we see in the book of Daniel, when Daniel gives his prophecies, which will be starting next, um, next week, when he gives his prophecies and he refers to Darius, any visions that he has during the reign of Darius is always mentioned as being in the first year. We have um, the third year mentioned for Belshazzar. We have um, a longer than one year mentioned for 
Cyrus the Great, and we'll talk about him at the end of the message. But for Darius, has always said that the visions that Daniel speaks of in the book of Daniel occurred in the first year of his reign, which speaks to the fact that he probably did not sit on the throne very long. Now the Babylonian Empire in chapter 5 has fallen, and now we see the, the setting up and a new regime called the Persian Empire being brought upon the scene. Remember, at the end of Belshazzar's reign, what did he do? He promoted Daniel. Daniel became the third most powerful man in the Babylonian Empire. And he stayed that for the length of a few hours. Because by the end of the evening that he was promoted, Belshazzar would be dead, and there was a new man in charge. However, the Bible tells us that Daniel is still promoted. Let's look at how Darius sets up his kingdom. Verse number 1 of chapter 6. The Bible says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and hundred and twenty princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give account unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. So here we see Daniel's promotion. And in the kingdom of Babylon, he was promoted to third most powerful under the previous regime. Now the next regime comes in, and where is Daniel promoted in the kingdom of Babylon? We find him placed once again as the third most powerful man in Babylon. The number one man being Cyrus the Great, number two being Darius the Mede, and then number three, right underneath them, is Daniel. Daniel, not because he receives it as an honor or a gift or a reward for his prophecies, but instead by his gift and skill as a, um, as a minister in the, um, in the government, he receives his promotion. And um, I don't think it'll come as any surprise to you, but when something happens in the government, a promotion, somebody raised up to a certain amount of political power, there are some people who just don't like it. Wouldn't you agree? Donald Trump becomes president, and what do the Democrats and all the people who don't like him do? They look for every bad thing they can do to try to put him down. Now, I'm not asking if you like Donald Trump or not. There are good things about Donald Trump, and there are bad things about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not a perfect man. So I'm not asking you, do you support him? But I think we've seen over the past four years when people try to tear Donald Trump down. And it doesn't just work in the Republican camp. Some of y'all who are paying attention to politics today have probably heard the name of Michael Bloomberg all of a sudden on the TVs. You can't go anywhere without seeing a commercial with Michael Bloomberg being the main um, person they're talking about. He becomes unpopular, looks like he may become the Democratic nominee for president, and what do everybody else in the Democrats do? Look for something to tear him down. Not only the Democrats, Donald Trump starts tweeting against old Michael Bloomberg. When somebody um, is promoted, there's always somebody that doesn't like it. And op research and, uh, and, and bad research against a, a political enemy is nothing new. It went back into Daniel's day, and we see that in Daniel chapter number 6, verse 4. Notice what it says in verse 4. Then the other presidents, the other two presidents, and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. So what do they do? They start following Daniel around. They start looking at what he's doing, the job he's doing. Hey, they, they spy on his house. They look at him in his private life. They try to find something wrong with him. Is he running around with a woman? Is he doing something wrong with the king's money? What is he doing? What can we find wrong with him? And the princes and the presidents, they look and they look and they look and they can't find one thing Daniel's doing wrong. He's honest in how he runs... The, his, um, his governmental jobs, and he's honest as he runs his own private life. 
they could not find any fault with Daniel. Now, when they couldn't find any fault with Daniel, they speak to themselves, and what do they say? Verse number 5. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against um, this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So they studied him. They did opposition research on him. They tried to find some skeleton in Daniel's closet that they could use to bring him down, and they could find nothing. The only thing they could find that they could use to attack Daniel was his faith in Jehovah God. He was obedient to God. And um, we haven't really dealt with this, so we'll deal with it right now concerning Daniel. We know that Daniel prayed three times a day, and we'll get into that a little bit further in the book of Daniel, chapter 6. But the Bible says that Daniel prayed three times a day. He prayed facing towards, in the direction of, the city of Jerusalem. Now here's an important question. How could a Jew stay faithful to God and obedient to God during the Babylonian captivity? I ask that question considering that for a Jew to stay right with God, what did he have to do every year? He had to offer sacrifices for his sins, correct? But is there a temple at that time? No. Is there any Jews in um, Jerusalem that could even offer a sacrifice for him? No. The furniture of the, um, of the temple, all those things, the altar, the brazen altar, the golden altar of incense, all those things, the golden candlesticks, are now in the treasury of the Persians now. He cannot offer sacrifices, so what does he do? He prays, and he seeks God's face. Now, sacrifice was important, and was important to the Jew. But God had always said that the sacrifice itself wasn't important. What did he require more than sacrifices? He wanted people just to do right, to be obedient, to love him, to honor him. I think it's an interesting question. Many times in an attack of the Jewish people, and I think it's a bad attack, just to speak on a, an apologetic side, for any of you who want to witness to the Jew, many times we like to use against the Jew. If you were actually a faithful Jew, wouldn't you be offering sacrifices? Legitimate question. And the answer they would give you is found in the book of Daniel. Was Daniel a faithful Jew? Yes, he was. Did he offer sacrifices in Babylon? No, he did not. So that train of thought or argument against the Jew is not very successful. Um, we need to focus, when we speak to Jewish people, on the promises of God concerning the Messiah. And um, that is very important to make them understand that Jesus Christ is the one who is promised from the Old Testament Scriptures. And um, I just wanted to give that to you in case any of y'all are interested in that category or may have a question in your mind concerning that. Daniel showed his faithfulness to God and his obedience to God by prayer, praying three times a day, morning, noon, and night, with his face pointed towards Jerusalem. The um, enemies of Daniel, they saw him doing that and they said, here is how we can set a trap to destroy him. And what was their trap? Their trap was to convince King Darius to make a foolish decree. To make King Darius uh, make a foolish decree. Now this is how they did it. Let's look in verse number 6. The Bible says, Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever! All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together. That's not true. Daniel wasn't a part of this consultation. To establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree, 
and signed the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth, the word altereth there simply means changeth, which altereth not. Wherefore King Darius signed the writing and the decree. So they go to him and they say, King, you're so great, we hope that you just live forever. He's 62 years old. He has got one foot in the grave, yet they're speaking to him, I hope you have a long life. He's got to like that. And they say, King Darius, we think you're so great that all the princes, all the governors, all the presidents, all the counselors, everybody in your government has come together. And we think as a way to honor your power and nobility that we think you ought to sign a law and put it into writing that for 30 days no man can ask or make a petition to any God or any man except you. And if they do it, they need to be thrown into the den of lions. Now I'll explain to you the den of lions in just a minute. We won't deal with that right now. But listen to the absurdity of the request. After all, Darius is listening to this and he loves the flattery. But the idea that nobody could ask anybody or pray to any God for anything except for Darius for 30 days is absurd. After all, how many people need things every month? By a raise of hands, how many of y'all think y'all could go a full month without any help of any kind? Anybody? One month without any help of any kind? I don't think I can. I need God's help every day, wouldn't you agree? Darius is one man. How on earth is everybody in the kingdom of Babylon going to be able to have access to Darius for 30 days? It's absurd. Nothing would get done if the only person you had to go to was a man. Nothing could be accomplished. It's a log jam. It's a traffic jam of help and needs. However, it tickled, it massaged the ego of Darius so much that he agreed to do it, and he signed it. Now look, he didn't understand why this request was being made. He thought everybody was focused on him, but everybody talking to him was focused on Daniel. They knew that if Darius signed this, Daniel was in trouble. But Darius signed it anyways. And Daniel eventually hears about it. Now look at verse number 10. The Bible says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house. He went into his house, and his window being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. So Daniel hears about it. He's in the business of performing his tasks. I wonder if how he heard about it may have been the fact that Darius signed the decree and being the one right under him, the decree is handed over him for him to put it in the records or him to distribute amongst everybody else. But he receives that decree and he reads what's on it. And he knows that this is a problem. It's a big problem. What's he going to do? Is he going to take a break from praying to God three times a day? After all, is that really a big deal? It's just 30 days. Good grief. Some of y'all don't think it's a big deal when you miss church for a month. Is it really that big a deal? 30 days. Just don't pray for 30 days. Then you go right back and doing it again. Not a big deal might have been the temptation. But Daniel understood the importance. He had been faithful to God his entire life. Do we remember in the beginning in Daniel chapter number 1? Hey, 
Daniel, it's not a big deal. Just eat the king's meat. Hey, it's not a big deal, Daniel. Everybody else is doing it. Just drink the king's wine. Just go along to get along. Don't rock the boat. You're in a good position. You're in the king's court. Don't do anything to jeopardize your future. It's not that big a deal. But Daniel was faithful. Daniel was faithful then. His friends were faithful later at the fiery furnace. And now, being over 80 years old, after proving time and time again that he was going to be faithful to God, is Daniel going to make the wrong choice? And of course, the answer is no. Again, in verse number 11, we read these words. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. They found him doing the exact thing they knew he was going to do. And here's the amazing thing. Daniel was so faithful and so disciplined into his prayer life, they knew when and where to show up to find him doing it. Now i got a question for you. If your enemies wanted to find fault with you, by your faithfulness to God, i got a question. Your friends or your enemies, do they know where you're going to be 10 o'clock on Sunday morning? Or is it a question in their mind? Do they know where you're going to be at 6 o'clock? Let's make it even better. At 5.30 in the afternoon on Sunday, do they know where you're going to be? I can see right now that everybody's here on Sunday, I mean on Wednesday night, and I'm very happy for you, and I'm, and I'm glad for you. But would your friends and enemies know where you are on Wednesday night? Daniel had a testimony. They knew what Daniel would be doing. He was faithful to what God wanted him to do. And they went and they found him doing exactly what they expected him to do. So what did they do? Daniel's enemies spring their trap. The Bible says in verse number 12, Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. The trap is sprung. Darius immediately understood what was going on right here. He realized that this decree wasn't about making him to be some great man. It was about bringing a great man down. Darius realized his error. I imagine one of the things that must have impressed Darius was Daniel's faithfulness to his God. He realized in his disciplined and faithful life to God, this man would also be honest and faithful and disciplined in his service to the king. It was a quality I'm sure that Darius respected already in Daniel. And that good quality, because of his foolish decree, has now put Daniel's life in jeopardy. The Bible says that Darius immediately begins to move, to do something to change it. He realizes he made a mistake. It was a foolish mistake. He doesn't want this to happen. So what does he do in verse 14? The Bible says, Then the king, when he heard these words, were sore displeased with himself. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. So um, let me um, read the next verse. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, No, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth 
may be changed. Darius spends the rest of the day going through law, the law of the Medes and the Persians, looking for some loophole to get Daniel out of it. He realizes he made a big mistake. He's doing everything he can to spare Daniel. But there is nothing that Darius can do. There's nothing he can do to keep it from him. And the reason for that is, notice what it says in verse 15. His princes, those that were trying to praise him, throws it back into his face. He said, remember, king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. You can't do it. And that was a unique law amongst the Medes and the Persians. In fact, if we can go back to the uh, great statue in Daniel chapter number 2. Remember how the Babylonians were portrayed as the head of gold? The Persians were a step down. They were the breast and the arms that were of silver. Silver is still a wonderful metal and a power and a very valuable metal. But it is nowhere near the value of gold. And we see it represented in the sovereignty of the Medes and the Persians as opposed to the Babylonians. In contrast to Nebuchadnezzar, this ruler was helpless to reverse his own decree, vividly illustrating the inferiority of the silver kingdom of the Medes and Persians to the golden kingdom of of Babylon in the matter of royal sovereignty. You see, when Nebuchadnezzar made a decree, he could change it. Think about it. Daniel chapter number 2. Nebuchadnezzar asked his astrologers and his magicians to do what? interpret his dream, but before they interpret it, tell him what the dream was in the first place. Do you all remember that? His astrologers couldn't do it. What did Nebuchadnezzar say do with them? Kill how many of them? Kill them all. What, did, what happened to their house? Tear their house down and turn it into the local landfill. Turn it into a dunghill. That's what he ordered. They get to Daniel not to talk to him about it, but to kill him, and when Daniel hears it, what does he say? Let me go talk to the king. He goes to Nebuchadnezzar and he says, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, why are you being so hasty here? Do you want it interpreted? I can interpret it. Can you give me a little bit of time? Now, the king already said, Kill them all. But when Daniel said, Don't be so hasty, guy. Just give me a little bit of time. What did Nebuchadnezzar do? He stopped. Why? Because the king, during the Babylonian times, whatever he said, he could always take it back. But right here, Darius couldn't do that. Once it was written down, it could not be changed, no matter how badly the king might want to change it. In fact, we see it in history concerning the um, the Persians. A man named Diodorus Siculus recorded that another Darius, Darius III, which lived about... 200 years after these events occurred. Darius III wanted to free a man he had condemned, but realized that it was not possible to undo what was done by royal authority. So we see it even in history. Once a decree was made, there's nothing that can be done to change it. Daniel's enemies remind the king of that, and we find out after much trial and and, and labor to try to free Daniel, But Daniel's arrested. Look at verse number 16. The Bible says, Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the lion's den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. So Daniel's cast into the den of lions. Now, I think y'all already got a bad idea about what the den of lions are, but let me explain to you a little bit more serious about what it is. This den of lions is a pit where they put lions into. Now, later on, people would use animals to kill people. During the Roman Empire, it was very famously done to Christians. They would put the Christians in the Colosseum of Rome and they would set lions on them to kill them. 
However, during the time of the Colosseum, they would put the Christians in there and they would release the lions and much to the uh, disappointment of the people watching, many times the lions wouldn't attack. They didn't want to kill them. Now don't start thinking this is some miracle. It's not. It's just the nature of animals. If they've got a full stomach or they're not in the mood to hunt, they may be tired, they're not going to do it. So what they would have to do during the Roman days for those lions to kill either the criminals or the Christians, they would have to poke and prod and anger the lions and get those lions out of rage to turn and attack the Christians or the criminals or whatever they were trying to kill. The Persians didn't have that problem. Because what they would do is they would keep those lions basically starved. They hardly ever fed them. In fact, just about whenever they would eat, it'd be because somebody was thrown in there. They're already starving. When somebody's thrown in there, what does the lion think? Dinner. And he handles it. Now, I want you all to keep this in mind. They open the pit. The lions are looking up and they take Daniel. Daniel is not 20 years old or 30 years old. He is an 80-year-old man. And they throw Daniel down into that den. Now, before he goes in there, I think it's remarkable, Brother Wayne, remarkable that after Darius had tried to spare Daniel's life, did you hear the last remarks that Darius made to Daniel before he went in there? He said to him, let me read this one more time. He said, Daniel, thy God whom thou servest, continually. I like that phrase. He just didn't say service. He added an adverb there. How long has he been serving him? (laughs) It's been continual. You've served him continually. Daniel, that God, he will deliver thee. Notice the faith of a pagan king. If there's any man, that king was saying, that a God would spare, it would be Daniel, because I've never seen any man serve any God like Daniel served his God. What a testimony, wouldn't you agree? That those are the words that are spoken before he's thrown in. And look at the next statement. Almost, it seems like it's almost parallel to Jesus being put into the tomb. Notice these words, verse 17. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. It's sealed with a stone. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. They put a stone over the the opening. They seal it with the seal of the king. Isn't that what they did to Jesus? They put his body in a grave. What was a grave? It was just a rock cut. It was a cave, basically. A man-carved cave. That's what it was. They roll a stone in front of it. They seal it with the seal of the Roman Empire. This was sealed with the seal of the Persian Empire, saying nobody could remove it. It becomes dark, and it becomes quiet for Daniel. And then we see in verse number 18. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. I want you all to notice a contrast of two nights. Now I'm going to stray from the story of Daniel right here in order to illustrate this point. The way the story is told in Daniel is to leave it as a cliffhanger. What happened to Daniel? The stone's rolled away, and there's nothing remarked or made mention of Daniel until the stone is removed. But I think everybody in here already knows the end of the story. So I'm going to just jump into the night right here for both of them. Think about it for a minute. Old King Darius, he's laying in his comfortable bed with his silk sheets and his luxurious palace, and he cannot even sleep a wink. He's miserable. All the luxury and comfort of the palace cannot ease his soul. And I look at Daniel. Scattered around Daniel are crushed bones, 
from the previous four people that were thrown into the lion's den. Walking around them are numbers upon numbers of lions that anybody in their right mind would think at any moment would pounce upon him. There is no bed. There is no place of comfort or rest. Yet I would say Daniel had a better night's sleep that night than Darius ever had. You know why? Because Daniel had peace. And notice his peace did not come because of his environment. He was in the worst kind of environment. Yet he had peace. Yet he had rest. Why? Because in the lion's den, Daniel was in the complete will of God. Why was Daniel put into the lion's den? I want you all to think about this for a minute. Why was Daniel in the lion's den? It's a word that begins with the letter O. Obedience. He obeyed God. And in order to obey God, it meant he had to spend the night in the den of lions. He still obeyed God. And that means in order for him to be in the will of God, he had to be in that den of lions. It was the only place he could ever wind up. And because of his obedience, he had peace, even when the lions were crawling all around him. Now there's nothing in the Bible that would say this. This is totally Jeremy. This is not Bible. But I like to think Daniel laid down in that lion's den and he used one of those lines as his pillow. I like to think it. Can I say that really happened? I cannot, but I really like to think that's what happened. I think he got a full night's sleep. But then you look at old Darius. Why was Darius in his position? Pride. What put Daniel in the lion's den? Pride. Darius thought it would be a really good thing to pass that stupid, stupid petition. And because of his foolishness, Daniel's in the lion's den. Because of his pride, because of his ego, Daniel's in the lion's den. While Daniel's resting in the lion's den, this man can't sleep a wink. He can't eat. Why, when they asked him, do you want any music? Do you want any entertainment? He said, no, I cannot bear it. Because he knew he had done something that hurt a person he truly respected. A contrast of two nights. Some of us think that in order to have peace, that means all our problems have to go away. And that's not what the Bible teaches. You can have peace in the midst of the storm. And let me tell you, just because all your problems seem to be gone... Every, just because you have everything you want, just like because you think everything is perfect for yourself, doesn't mean you have peace. I was reading a thing in Fox News. And by the way, I'm going to say this because I want you to always remember if you have kids or you have teenagers in your family, be careful of what is influencing your family. I read in Fox News this very day that the director, Steven Spielberg's daughter, announced that she is entering the porn business, pornography. She actually registered to be a sex worker. She lives in Nashville, Tennessee. She registered to be a sex worker so that she could get into pornography. Now, here's the thing, though. She said that when she told her dad about it and her mom about it, they gave her their complete support. These are the people that we want to influence our kids. Now why am I bringing this up? This is the daughter of Steven Spielberg. How much money does Steven Spielberg have? He is a multi-multi-millionaire. He can provide everything that his daughter would want. Provide more than I could have ever provided a daughter. And she said the reason why she wanted to enter to pornography was because she's been dealing her entire adult life with depression and alcoholism. She has everything she could ever want. And she's miserable. She turns to the bottle. She's full of depression. What does she decide to do? She decides to go into something that is so wicked and degrading and immoral to women. It's sad. It ought to break our hearts. 
But it ought to be a lesson to us that just because you think you have everything, it doesn't give you peace. It doesn't give you joy. Remember the contrast of the two nights. Daniel spent his um, night with peace and rest. Darius spent his night in misery and um, in sadness. He could not sleep. But we go further now. The Bible says in verse number 19, Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste into the den of the lions. Now I imagine he did because he didn't sleep a wink. He wasn't going to get any more sleep, so as soon as the sun rose, he was up and he's ready to go. He runs to the den of the lions, and when he gets there, verse number 20, it says, And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice. Think about that for a minute. Did you hear what it said? He cried with what kind of voice? Now, he spoke very nobly to Daniel when he got thrown into the lion's den. What did he say? He said, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, He will deliver thee. Notice he didn't say he might deliver thee. No, when Daniel was going in there, he will deliver thee. That is a very faithful, faith-filled statement, right? But when we get to this verse, it kind of sounds like he was just trying to pat Daniel on the back. He said, yeah, your God will deliver you. Don't worry about it. Yeah, right. And threw him on in there. He said the words, but he didn't really believe it. You see, he didn't have the kind of faith Daniel had. He didn't trust that that was going to happen and and you know what? Sometimes I think we're like Darius. We hear about something that happens that, to somebody and it's so bad. I think of Brother Larry Reimer right now. I don't know if any of y'all are like this, but we need to really have strong faith when it comes to Brother Larry Reimer. But I think sometimes you're like me. We pray for somebody and in the back of our mind we think, nothing that's going to be able to be done for that person. Yeah, let's say the prayer. <laughs> but I don't believe God's going to really do anything it's just too bad. It's just too rough. I think that's the way Darius was right there when he told Daniel, your God's going to deliver you. Hey, it's just good words. Everybody likes to hear it. I want to give him some word of comfort before he goes all the way down into the pit. And when Darius came back, he goes and rolls away a stone. I'm glad there at least was a question in his mind whether Daniel would still be alive. But he looks down in there and he says with a lamentable voice, in other words, he's, his voice is trembling. He's expecting the worst. He doesn't respect a response. I wonder, is he actually looking down in there? Because if those lions tore Daniel apart, I don't know if I would want to see something like that. Maybe some of y'all were watching um, the race or saw the news about the bad wreck that was, um, occurred at the Daytona 500 on the last lap. I saw the wreck. And honestly, when the wreck occurred, um, I thought that, that poor driver um, was killed. Now they said today he walked out of the hospital after being hit in the passenger side door upside down by a car that ran into him going 200 miles an hour. And two days later he walks out of the hospital. Incredible. But I thought he was going to be dead. They said they put black sheets over the, around the um, car when they removed him because they didn't want anybody to see just what they were pulling out of there. They didn't want anybody to be horrified by what came out. Now imagine that maybe he wasn't really looking down in there. He didn't want to see what was down in there. He just says with a lamentable voice unto Daniel, And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? And the Bible says the answer was, the answer was yes. Listen to what Daniel says. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, I have done no hurt. I have not offended you, king. I have not harmed you. I am an innocent man. And yes, God did spare me. And of course, the king's happy. The Bible says in verse 23, Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den of lion, I mean, out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. 
Can I stop right there before we get into the next verse? Notice it said, no manner of hurt. Now, I want you all to think in your head, and I'm sure you're thinking this way. They're talking about the lions. There wasn't a scratch on them, literally. No cat scratched them. There wasn't any teeth marks. Nobody even tried to lick them to see if he would taste good. I mean, nothing happened to Daniel. But think of it this way, too. How old was Daniel? He was in his 80s, right? And he's thrown into a pit. Now, how many of y'all know of people who are in their 80s who would fall into a pit and would get up and walk out without any problems? The fall alone would hurt them, wouldn't you agree? I mean, little babies maybe could fall a good distance and not hurt. Old story of bouncing babies we've heard when we were growing up. But an 80-year-old person, they don't bounce back. <laughs> they fall and they stay down, don't they? <laughs> Just like that old commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up. Yet the Bible says that there was no manner of hurt on Daniel. I think it's incredible. Even the fall did not hurt Daniel. God watched over him and protected him. And the Bible says, verse 24, And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery over them. In other words, the lions tore them up and break all their bones in pieces or ever they came at the bottom of the den. In other words, they tore them up, they broke all their bones up and scattered the bones all around the bottom of the den of lions. So if you think that the lions, when Daniel was thrown in there, had already just had a meal, no. These lions were starving because when these people got thrown in there, the lions didn't even waste time. They destroyed them. They devoured them. And the Bible says in verse 25, Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and steadfast forever. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth. He worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Right here, what do we see? We see now that the... Persian Empire has also made a decree. You see, during the Babylonian time, the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, what did it do for the Jewish people? It protected the Jewish people as they worshipped the Lord God Jehovah, the true living God. They were not to be persecuted for their faith. The Persian Empire starts up, and there's no, there's no um, prohibition against persecuting the Jews. After all, Daniel's faithful, and what happens to him? He's persecuted for it. But now we see because of Daniel in the lion's den, just like in Daniel chapter number 3 with the three Hebrew children, that God uses this miracle to protect the Jews so that they can worship Him without fear of persecution. God cares for the Jews even as they're being punished. Why does He care? Because the Jews are God's chosen people. And let me tell you, you may feel that God has abandoned you, that you have done so badly in your Christian walk that He does not care or He's not watching over you. You are mistaken. Because if you're a child of God, if you have been born again, you are also one of His chosen people. And He will never leave you nor forsake you. Even when you're being punished. And I'm thankful to worship a God like that. Now the Bible says at the very end that Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and he also prospered in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now who is Cyrus the Persian? Cyrus the Persian is Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great is um, named the Great for a very important reason. There's very few people we know of as the Great. How many of y'all have ever heard of Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great is known as the Great because he conquered... Basically, the entire known world by the time he turned 30. That's incredible. That's why we call him the great. 
in English history, there's only one great, and that's Alfred the Great. He's the one that saved England from being totally run over and destroyed by the Vikings. And then we see here Cyrus the Great. Why is he called the Great? He was the conqueror of the Babylonian Empire. He's the founder of the Persian Empire. He allowed the Jews to return to the land of Israel. Hey, that would make him great right there, correct? But you know what? He's also recorded in the Bible as also being great. Cyrus is such an important figure in the Bible that he was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah actually names him by name 200 years before he's even born. And that's found in Isaiah chapter 45 in verse 1. Um, Isaiah lived in the 700s um, B.C. And uh, Cyrus the Great lived in the 500s B.C. But in that prophecy concerning Cyrus, Cyrus and Isaiah is the only Gentile ever referred to by the title Messiah. Because it says that he is the anointed of the Lord. In the King James Bible, it's translated as anointed, but that word anointed in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word that we get our word Messiah from. He is called a Messiah. My Messiah, actually, the Lord God calls him. In other words, he is a significant person in all of history. And Daniel gets to live into his reign. His reign is important because during his reign, the Jews are allowed to return to the land of promise. Daniel is in his 80s. He's going to live to see the children of Israel return to the land of Israel, only he's not going to be one of them. He'll die in the land of Babylon. But during the end of his life, God begins to speak to him in dreams and visions. Now, in Daniels 1 through 6, when we see Daniel even prophesying. He's always prophesying about somebody else's vision or somebody else's dream. Starting in Daniel chapter number 7, we're going to hear about Daniel's own dreams, Daniel's own visions. They all occur during the reigns of Belshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus. In other words, at the end of Daniel's life. And in these visions, we will see displayed for us the entire future of the Jews and the entire future of the Gentiles. It's going to be remarkable. We're going to start it next week in Daniel chapter number 7. I hope that you'll come back to listen to it. I hope this has been a blessing to you. What can we learn from Daniel chapter number 6? We need to be obedient to God because being obedient to God will always give us peace even when trouble is all around us. It's disobedience to God that takes away our peace, takes away our comfort, takes away our joy. Let us stay faithful and obedient to the Lord. Brother Wayne.